0: Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 129, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. This week, Amazon starts a marketplace for teachers to sell online educational resources, but will anyone use it? And... A Minnesota school district apologizes after a video shows workers throwing away hot lunches. Stay with us. Wow. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, power to the late bloomer. While we shouldn't put so much emphasis on those that achieve great things at a young age. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by the joyous principal, Christina Pollard.
1: Good afternoon. Good
0: afternoon. Christina what do you want for Christmas? You know, everyone always says, "Have you completed your Christmas shopping?" But no one ever asks you what you want for Christmas. <laughs> have you I, thought about this?
1: I have something on my mind that I've been wanting for a while. Okay, now. you And know. I probably won't get it on Christmas, but it is my big Christmas present. Um, my youngest son is driving now, oh. and um, instead of going out and getting him a brand new vehicle, it's only smart for you know for me to pass my vehicle down to him. All paid off and lots of miles on it. There you go. And I have a beauty in mind that oh. I've told my husband and I'm waiting to see. Can
0: we talk about what it is? Do you want to go there or no? You, wanna- you
1: know, I have this thing where when, you know, I want something, I kind of sit quietly and wait and see. Okay. But um, it's real special and I really want it.
0: Are we talking car, SUV, yes. or truck? Car. Car. Okay, good. Yes. I think cars are way more affordable in the sense that like suvs and trucks are so
1: i'm really I, excited to come out of this suv i'm in
0: yeah i mean but they're just also like you pay a lot for them because that's they're in mm-hmm. demand so gas there's some really, is high too there's some really good deals out there on
1: but being a sports mom cars. and wife it has come in handy i will say but i am ready to get down to a you know sizable vehicle that i can whip in
0: and out of you'll get to class dismissed uh, recordings real fast real probably. fast yeah in the new car well um i like your idea of like passing down your vehicle i have the same plan i need new living room furniture eventually but i have this this son who's in a dorm but eventually he's moving into an apartment and i'm gonna be like hey you want some new couches correct and then we're getting new sofas in our living room so smart smart that's the way you got to do it um are you ready for the teacher's lounge what's going on today
1: I am ready for the teacher's lounge. You know, speaking of the teacher's lounge, that's where we keep a lot of mailboxes. Mm -hmm. And in the teacher mailboxes, you often find strategies, ideas, um, different resources. But Amazon Mm -hmm. is thinking about putting teacher resources online for sale.
0: This is interesting. We've heard of this before, but it wasn't Amazon, right?
1: It was not Amazon. A lot of teachers love shopping on Teacher Pay Teachers. Right. A lot of cute things here's my big concern. How do I know that it's a research-based strategy or that it comes from a research-based curriculum and you're selling it on Amazon? I'm terrified, you know, but if you look further, it does say that it's by invitation only. I also find that interesting.
0: Well, that's what they normally do. Like software companies, when something new rolls out, they do an invitation only thing, I think.
1: I want to know about the vetting process. Because, you know, as a principal, we try to encourage our teachers to use um, resources and materials that, you know, research shows does work to help so, children.
0: So you're thinking me, who's not a certified teacher, could potentially create some stuff. Yes, because you're crafty them. and you can yeah. put
1: it together and your wife's a teacher. And so you get a couple of ideas and all yeah. of a sudden you're an author of instructional material.
0: Right. And, and so I'm concerned. Do I've never used teacher pay teachers. Does it have a vetting process? Do you know?
1: Not that I know of. Yeah. You you know, you just get connected. I don't know if you pay a fee or what. And I've logged on and checked some things out. There's a lot of great things on there, but then there's a lot of cutesy things on there that aren't really strong or rigorous for what you're trying to do um, in growing students.
0: It's interesting though that Amazon is jumping into this arena because that means there must be money there.
1: Well, there is money there because right. if you think about teachers are checking out Pinterest. Um, they're in a lot of different groups and, and, and blogs where they're sharing information. Um, and there are some people making some really good money. And then when you put it all together, sometimes if you don't have all of the resources it takes mm-hmm. to deliver that lesson, you're really sliding the children. Now, the one thing about Amazon is they've always offered resources for teachers. Right. Okay. But you have to know about it called Ignite. You have to know about it in order to search. It won't just pop up. Okay. But with the new tool that they're going to offer, if you have an idea, um, or a subject area that you want to research some material, it will have a list of items for you to search from. Um, but you know, according to Amazon, they're going to vet the people that they're going to use. Mm. And I just hope that they have, they said their employees are going to check. Okay. Which employees do they have an educational board? I have Mm. a lot of questions.
0: Okay. So with teacher pay teachers, is is that something like a, as an administrator's comfortable with?
1: I actually believe, I don't think a lot of administrators are comfortable with it. I mean, we're yeah. actually told um, by our curriculum directors and things of that nature to be very careful. Make sure you remind your teachers mm-hmm. that they need to be very careful about what they're purchasing. Um, anyone can put together a lesson that looks just flowery. Let's yeah. just use that as a term. Right. Um, and it it looks great and you run it off and it's real cute and you put together the packets. But is it low level? Right. You know, is it really challenging children to think deeply? Um, are students actively engaged with it? What will be the end product? Mm-hmm. How will they reflect and how will they write about it?
0: This is a brand new announcement from Amazon. D- have you heard any buzz? Like, have None, in Your school? No, at no all. teachers are talking about no. it. Huh, I wonder I wonder if like, they're just going to see this as kind of another, like, eh, you know, I'll just keep using what I'm familiar with, or if it really will be a marketplace that could take.
1: I'm me. interested to see how they're going to advertise this because, you know, educational gurus across the country, they're going to be looking.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. We'll definitely want to keep an eye on. I've got one out of um, Minnesota, and this is a topic that we've touched on in the class dismiss podcast several times. And I just don't understand. I feel like, Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like the country's on the same page with this, but we keep seeing this happen and this is a school a high school in Minnesota was caught on video throwing out um, hot meals to students who had more than fifteen dollars worth of lunch debt and and they have since like had to come out and I'm apologize. sorry,
1: I'm devastated,
0: yeah right like yeah. And, and so you're on the same page here, and I just don't I don't understand why this keeps happening over and punishing over
1: punishing children. They don't have jobs and they don't pay bills. Right. Take care of children first, no matter what. Take care of children.
0: All right. So the, the other side of this, and I don't agree with the side, but I, I just, so you can kind of, well, I'll play devil's advocate, but is, you know, we have to motivate these parents to pay these bills. Like we have no other, you know, tool to really do this other than restrict giving them what they haven't paid for.
1: There's a number of things you could do. You withhold records. You withhold report cards. You send letters. You contact the parents. Turn it over to a collection agency. Modify the lunch that you're going to feed the child. Perhaps they're only going to get a sandwich and an apple and their milk instead of all of the options that are on the, the hot bar. But there's just something better than not feeding children.
0: Well, in, in their defense, they they were giving out cold lunch, is what they would call it. But I But I just feel like the whole idea of having some students, you know, like you're now, you might as well give them a scarlet letter, That's right? That's true. Like when you give them that cold lunch, and so mm-hmm. all their friends see, oh, you, you have lunch debt, or and you And oftentimes, the you I think
1: the parents are just, um, embarrassed to complete a free or reduced lunch application if they're having a financial situation they don't want anyone to know about and yeah. then other times you have very busy working parents who just forget and and you know they work long hours late hours they're not there to give them lunch money um the other alternative is you know there's some responsibility on the parents too. fix sack lunches for your children if you can't afford to pay for the lunches at school we, we no matter what all adults all the adults involved it's their fault yeah. The children are innocent we need to feed them.
0: Th- that is should be like the guiding principle I agree. The this dish That
1: struck be, a nerve for me.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it really bothers me too cuz I you just think about like the the embarrassment that these kids are going through and you know And then you're
1: I, wasting food there's homeless children. Right. all across this country and you're throwing food out because they have a $15 or higher bill?
0: Right. Well, and so every district's different size and they have different financial burdens. But like it said, this one is going to pay $20,000 in lunch debts that, that they have accumulated. And I guess what I'm asking you as administrator is, what would you have to give up if you had to come up with $20,000? Is it, is it really It depends even that on big? what
1: budget it comes from because is it coming from an educational foundation? Um, do they have a rainy day fund? I mean, you definitely can't just take it out of, you know, say technology because as a district receives its funding, it is budgeted by line item. Mm-hmm. And so there are rules for every different code, right. you know, so it just, it makes me really wonder. I mean, I've been in that situation. I've had students who, you know, their parents really needed to fill out a lunch application they did not. They didn't respond to the calls and the letters. Um, of course, their fees were way higher than $15. Um, but we, we just, I could not stand not to see children eat.
0: I almost wish they would allo- pass laws that would allow a principal or a counselor to facilitate that application. Like, but like
1: do you need technology help? Do, do you not know how to do it? Come in here and yeah, come sit down and let me assist you. But I mean, there's even options of, you know, perhaps you have to suspend the child. By saying the student cannot return until you know without a parent, and so maybe they'll show up the next day where you can help them or find out what's going on, you know if they have a trusted relationship with you, if they don't they're not going to tell you they're in a financial bond, they've lost their job um they're they're three months behind on their house note and they're trying you know so
0: yeah it it depends again I just if it, if I had a magic wand and I know this costs money, every student in every district would and have Eat free be free. Like, period. Um, because,
1: I don't understand why it's not just automatically funded as well.
0: You know, and, and I just wonder, like, how big is that bill and what, like, nationwide? What would that cost us and what would we have to give up to make it, you know, deficit neutral, so to speak? And and I, I I don't think it would be that much, you know? It, when we
1: look at what we, what do, we do spend, spend money, money on. on. Right.
0: You know, so.
1: Well, education doesn't come first anyway.
0: Yeah. Don't get me started on that. No doubt. Are you uh, ready for the uh, Bright Idea? I am ready. We live in a world where we applaud kids that do amazing things at a young age, but our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is not focused on those early achievers. Rich Karlgaard is the publisher of Forbes magazine, and he has a brand new book titled Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. Rich, welcome to class dismissed. I'm thrilled to be on, Nick. Uh, I am so guilty of what we're about to talk about. I see videos, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I see videos on Facebook all the time. Young children doing something amazing, and I think you know they're well beyond their age. And I get excited because this child that I'm seeing has has a head start at doing something great. Is there anything wrong with me getting excited about that?
2: Uh, there's nothing wrong with getting excited about that. The problem is in K through 12. In many parts of the country, we put we have this very narrow idea of what a K through 12 education should be that it should be a conveyor belt. At the end of that conveyor belt, it deposits these kids into the best possible college that they can get into. Well, some kids are really going to succeed on that conveyor belt where they're subject to standardized tests. They're subject to homework that you can't believe. They're subject to the pressures of getting straight A's and advanced placement courses, et cetera, et cetera. And God bless you if you are kids really thrive under that environment. But what why I want to say loudly and assertively is that if they aren't succeeding in that regime, plan B isn't to double down because there's just overwhelming research that says that that conveyor belt to early success is missing more kids than it's hitting. That some kids, many kids, that their talents and their deepest passions and purpose are never going to be revealed along that conveyor belt. And that's what I really wanted to address and spent five years doing the research, writing this book, Late Bloomers.
0: Yeah. And, and in the introduction to Late Bloomers, you really grab my attention with this story of, of somebody named Joanne, a, a 53-year-old late bloomer. Um, do you mind sharing that example a little bit?
2: Yeah, Joanne was one of those students who did well, but not great. You would call her high mediocre. Her her People in uh, high school and in her college don't seem to remember her. But one professor said she seemed to stare off into space and was dreamy. She listened to a lot of alternative rock music. She got into a bad marriage. She contemplated going to grad school, but didn't. She was a receptionist. She did things like that. And then she went into a spiral of depression after her divorce. She was on public assistance. And at age 35, while taking a train, Joanne, otherwise known as J.K. Rowling, Mm. dreamed up Harry Potter.
0: Wow. And that, that'll give you goosebumps. I mean, if you really think about it, here's this person that basically went unrecognized for the first three decades of their life. I know you like to cite, um, there's, I think, a 2015 study um, where it kind of, I guess, researched when we do best in different periods of our life. Is that right?
2: Yeah, this is a great study put out by Harvard MIT in conjunction with Massachusetts General Hospital. And the researchers, Lord Jermine and Joshua Hartshorn, ask the basic question, at what age do we cognitively peak? Now, just stop there. We assume, I think, in this K-12 conveyor belt, that we have one shot at around age 16 or 17 on the SATs or the ACTs to prove our worth, to prove where we can go to school, what our career track should be. And this science just roundly debunks that idea. Because the answer to the question, at what age do we cognitively peak?, depends on which cognitive abilities you're asking about. So sure enough, the kinds of things that allow you to do really well in in tests, peak in our late teens and early 20s, that would be synaptic processing speed, working memory, and then deeper pattern recognition, a sense of empathy and compassion, vocabulary, leadership skills, Mm -hmm. all the neurological capabilities that support that don't even begin to emerge until our 30s, 40s, and 50s and then what we might call deeper wisdom doesn't even begin to appear until our 50s, 60s and 70s for most so this idea that we have to front end load everything i think is creating a false idea of how life really plays out
0: uh, so what do you think you said you've been you researched this for 5 years what do you think the is driving parents to push their kids to to bloom early is it society well
2: i have a theory i have a theory that if you look at where the predominant rewards in the economy have gone over the last 20 years. They're really in two industries. They're in software, and that includes everything on the internet and social media and so on, and high-end financial services. So I like to say Google and Goldman Sachs.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, these Googles and Goldman Sachs, who do they look for in college grads? They look for college grads that have gone to the most elite universities, the top 10, the Ivies, Stanford, Caltech, MIT, et cetera. They look for these stratospheric standardized test scores. Jeff Bezos scored a first perfect 800 on his math SAT. And and in the early days of Amazon used to ask job applicants what they scored on their math SAT. Bill Gates, co-founder of Microsoft, perfect 800 math SAT. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, perfect SAT all across the board. The two founders of Google, same thing. And so... This has created this idea that the greatest rewards in our economy go to those two two segments. And there's some truth to that, that they have. But that's because these companies and all the venture capital firms and all the hedge funds are screening for exactly that. And even Google found out that three years into a Google career, the correlation between how well you're doing at Google and the quote-unquote elite ranking of your university and what you scored on your standardized tests at a very imperfect correlation to how you were doing, and basically after three or four years disappeared into the statistical noise.
0: Do you see a tipping point um, coming up anywhere in the near future where we start saying, you know, these expensive private schools and expensive preschools and expensive universities that we're sending our kids to, um, it's going to change? Do you you think anyone's going to look at this differently?
2: Well, let's throw in on top of that, uh, a conversation my wife was having with some of her friends in an adult ballet class here in Silicon Valley. And this is talk among not rich people, but but middle class and upper middle class people, that they just routinely spend $50,000 over a four-year high school career to get tutoring help, college admissions help, and all that kind of stuff. There's a college admissions counselor in Southern California that one of my Forbes colleagues is aware of, who tells parents basically your kids shouldn't see daylight for two years. Wow! You know, oh, really? You know, shouldn't see that? That's almost criminal in my mind. And then you meet, reach the most extreme manifestation of this insanity with the recent college admissions bribery scandal. I hope we've reached a tipping point. My my whole goal with writing Late Bloomers was to lay it all out there to start a national conversation. That this maybe this doesn't work for everybody, and maybe it doesn't work for the majority of people. And maybe it's causing a lot of financial indebtedness, missed meals, kids who don't get enough sleep and are under stress, epidemics of anxiety and depression, tragically, even rising rates in suicide. That somebody has to say, look, we we, we just gotta we we all need to be in on this conversation, that this conveyor belt works for a minority of kids, it doesn't work for the majority. Yeah,
0: that's funny. You were just talking about anxiety and depression. I, I went to Amazon and I looked at some of the the, the uh, reviews of your book. And I don't know how often you check those, but there's one in there where someone wrote, I've read many pages of the book out loud to my kids. My 15-year-old daughter had tears in her eyes inside when I finished reading the first page to her. I take pictures of pages and send them to friends because I get so inspired. I mean, to hear that... that uh, You know, a 15-year-old is hearing parts of your book about saying, you know, we we don't need to necessarily um, ignore the the late bloomers. I mean, how does that make you feel?
2: It brings tears to my eyes, frankly. I gave a reading at a bookstore a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the women in the audience said, thank you, thank you for giving us permission to have this discussion. And whatever I can do to contribute to that conversation, I want to do. Because there are models around the world that uh, we ought to try in the United States that suggest there are better ways to create the greatest number of, of healthy kids along their K-12 through 12 educational route. Finland, for example, by the way, uh, Finland uh, popped up at the top of a list of um, Happiest people in the world about a month ago. So, this is recent news. Finland doesn't start kids at school until age seven. And they don't believe that exposing kids to reading, writing, and arithmetic uh, uh, is really does much good for the kids and, and possibly does a lot of harm before the ages of seven. I've become a big believer in gap years, whether that gap year is after high school before starting college or, or a two year gap between the sophomore. And junior years. There are many ways to sort of slow down this process. Let youthful brains develop as youthful brains were meant to develop, and expose kids to the most opportunities that will reveal their strengths and their passions, not their weaknesses. I was having a conversation with a clinical psychologist in LA, and he uh, he he works with families of, um, of troubled high schoolers mostly boys as it turns out and a lot of these boys have basically thrown in the towel on their on on school at a quite early age in grade school middle school high school and it turns out the parents think the kids is, is getting into trouble where in fact the kid actually is interested in something that he's almost too embarrassed to to share with his parents for An example would be a kid who loves to tune cars. Mm -hmm. Now, only in an upper middle class neighborhood in Pasadena would be embarrassing to say that you like to work on cars instead of not seeing daylight and spending every last hour to to get into USC. And so I think that uh, I think that we need a revival of skilled trades in high school. Only one out of 20 public high schools offers offers it anymore because of budgetary constraints. Well, we need to we need to find the money to do that. And by the way, just because you go to a skilled trade school, you know you're going to. A lot of kids are making, or young adults are making, hundred thousand dollars a year at age twenty two, right. doing these skilled trade jobs. You don't have to stay there forever. I was told the story about somebody who was a uh, was a welder, and then at age twenty six decided to go back to college and get a civil engineering degree. Now, what employer wouldn't want that kind of a person, right? they knew the practicalities of big physical infrastructure projects plus they now had the college education that's exactly the kind of employee that an employer of that kind would want
0: so so you have an audience of educators right now mostly k through 12 educators what would be your message to them i mean should we not applaud those you know exceeding expectations at a young age or should we just put more focus on those that maybe aren't doing
2: great at a young age I think we have to have a balanced attack for the ones that are succeeding early. By no means don't, you know, they should be encouraged and applauded if it really maps with, with their true talents and their true aspirations. But let's become uh, a lot more sensitive to the signs of when a kid is rebelling against that and they can rebel in a million different ways. They can rebel by just sort of mentally dropping out. They can rebel by retreating to the basement and playing computer games. They can rebel by poor kids. are going to rebel by dropping out of school, perhaps joining gangs. They're going to rebel. And the worst form of rebellion would be some kind of um, uh, clinical anxiety and depression and thoughts of suicide. There was a story in the Atlantic Monthly in, in the fall of 2015 called the Silicon Valley Suicides. And it was about uh, six high school suicides in the Palo Alto mm-hmm. area in one school year. And it turned out that most of these kids were really good students. They just weren't at the top of the heap. They were your, they were your really solid B plus students um, who felt sick about themselves and ashamed because they weren't the A and A plus students. Well, that was just tip of the iceberg. The part the, the part that didn't get a lot of attention, but the writer dug out was by March of that school year, was still a couple of months remaining, the school year, there were more than 40 hospitalizations or treatment for quote-unquote suicide ideation. We shouldn't, I mean, that is as clear a sign as you need, but we shouldn't have to get to that level of distress to see that the kids that aren't thriving in this regime, that doubling down on what, what got them into this hole is misconceived.
0: When did you start to have the epiphany to write late bloomers? I mean, was this something you've always thought about growing up or it's something that hit you later in life?
2: Uh, four things. One, I was a late bloomer myself. I, I recount the book at age 25. I was so immature, so undeveloped that I was capable of holding a job no greater than security guard, dishwasher, and even temp typist was a reach for me. So I'd always wondered if there was an opportunity to share my own story. But that was back in the day. And back in the day, it was easier to be a late bloomer than now because we didn't have this insane pressure. We didn't have social media where every kid is comparing how they feel on the inside about themselves with the curated versions of other kids' presentations on Facebook and Instagram. Then I read a book uh, uh, called Quiet by Susan Cain that came out in 2012, where she talked about the 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 a, a large minority of people in the country who self-identify as introverts and and how it's hard for them and I thought I wonder if you could say the same thing about late bloomers and then the experience with their own two children who are both adopted who here growing up in Silicon Valley is merely good kids felt that they were second rate citizens
0: from from doing your your research I do want to address. Those that have early bloomers or parents of of, of children that have early bloomers, do, do you think it's a bad idea if you have somebody who just is good at everything at a young age to push, push, push them, or or if if they're that personality type, do you challenge them?
2: I would say if you're fortunate to have a child whose whose uh, gifts manifest early and reveal themselves early, and then combine that with a genuine passion, then continually expose that. That kid. Now listen very carefully about the level of coaching that brings out the best in them. Some are going to respond in a more uh, to a more disciplined regime. Some some will not. So this takes a very sophisticated level uh, level of parenting. So I have nothing against the people who bloom early. I do think there are things that you can do. We have neighbors who have a boy. Um, in, in, here in Silicon Valley, and they make sure that they're church-going people, and they could go to the upper-middle-class church that, that, that the rest of us go to here in an upper-middle-class upper neighborhood. And they choose to go to a church with a much broader socioeconomic membership where there are poor people, people of, of, of every race that you find in Silicon Valley and that's where they want to go. And they go on missions and they want their child to develop an empathy and compassion. And that's one of the downsides, I think, of this early achievement mania is uh, some of those early achievers being pushed along by outside pressures, have, have uh, their, their empathy and compassion is not good. And I think you will find that uh, study after study will show that empathy and compassion among millennials and Gen Zs are not what they should be if we're trying to raise healthy people. And it's not the fault of the millennials and Gen Zs. It's this pressure that we put upon them. You know, they don't feel unconditional love. They feel conditional love, and the conditional love is based on the condition of their Checking off these boxes.
0: Well, Rich Carl got uh, it is a, a fascinating topic and one that I think um, you know everyone, educators especially, do need to pay attention to. I mean, this is this is something um, that I guess has always been right in front of my face, but I've never really put a whole lot of thought into it. The fact that you know everyone's going to develop at a different time, and and I really appreciate you writing it.
2: I think you know, I, my hat is off to K through twelve educators. I think they know that. I think that they're under a lot of pressure based particularly if they're in some quote-unquote high-performance city, like the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley, where I live. Um, They've got, uh, yeah, it's hard. It, It really is hard for them. I think most genuinely know that all kids are different and kids will bloom at different rates. And, you know, if we step back and say success is not measured by how many kids you got into Harvard. Success is measured 20 or 30 years down the road when you see that your students are really well-functioning, healthy, happy, fulfilled contributors to their families and society.
0: Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, If somebody wants to keep up with you, where's a good place to follow you? Active on Twitter, I take it, right?
2: Uh, Yeah, well... I don't like social media that much myself. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, you can go to my, the, the, the website for the book is Late Bloomer, singular, not plural, although the book is Late Bloomers, latebloomer.com, and um, and visit me there, or visit me at com, and um, drop me a note. I'd love to hear your story.
0: Thanks again so much for your time. Are you ready for our pop quiz?
2: As long as I don't flunk it, Nick.
0: You're going to... No pressure. There's no pressure here, all right? First question, if students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be?
2: Uh, I would say drama class, or even as they get older, stand-up comedy.
0: I like that. That that is a different answer for us. Thank you. Um, What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching?
2: Empathy and compassion.
0: What does every child deserve?
2: Every child deserves a chance to find that intersection where their deepest God-given talents and their deepest passions and sense of purpose meet.
0: What's the biggest challenge for today's educators?
2: Oh, easily. It's this, it's the pressure that the outside world is putting on them. It's parents who feel that their kids must go to an elite school. It's employers who are unnecessarily screening for only certain kinds of, of applicants who've demonstrated early excellence.
0: What's the best gift to give an educator?
2: Your time. If you're a parent, your time.
0: Which teacher changed your life?
2: My sixth grade teacher, who taught me a lesson in empathy and compassion, the backwards way, the old-fashioned way, We had to read our grades out loud and I laughed out loud myself when some of the kids got poor scores. And the next thing I felt was a slap on my, that, that soft spot between the neck and the shoulder from a yardstick. She, (laughs) she let me know exactly how unfunny and how cruel it was for me to laugh. That was in sixth grade. And last question, pen or pencil? pencil because our our lives are not written in pen we have the opportunity to erase and start over at any or and edit at any time
0: uh, again the book is late bloomers the author rich Carlgaard. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with
2: us thank you so much nick
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at dismiss.